You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. It was a pleasant surprise this morning when, as we were greeting one another, somebody greeted me in Swahili, which is one of the languages I speak from Kenya. So uh, I thought I'd teach you as well this morning. When I say Jambo, it means hello. You literally say Jambo back. So Jambo... Fantastic. You sound beautiful. We'll teach some more maybe another time. Well, it's my joy and my privilege to be kicking off a new series that we are having called Heart After God. Uh, Over these next six weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of David from the Bible, his heart for God, how his life fit within the purposes uh, of God, but also the person of Jesus. Uh, And from that, we'll be drawing out some relevant and applicable lessons that we can learn for our lives today. And we'll be focusing uh, mainly on passages from 1st and 2nd Samuel, uh, which are thought to be written by the prophets Samuel, Gad, and Nathan. uh, And they cover events happening in and around 1000 BC, so just 1000 years before Christ. And these books are also well linked with Kings, Chronicles, and Psalms. So maybe if you want to take that as part of your own personal study, uh, it might help you to get uh, a bigger picture of what it is that we are on with here. But as we begin this week, uh, the title of my message is Going After God's Heart. Can we say Going After God's Heart? Brilliant. You see, one of the things uh, that is well known about David uh, is that he was described as a man after God's own heart. And today we'll get to look at what is it about the way that David lived his life that uh, meant that he could be described in such a profound way. And, And what is it that we can learn from him so that we too can be a people going after God's heart? But let's just uh, begin with a little context as we get to the book of Samuel. So the Israelites have settled in Canaan, which is now known as the land of Israel. This was the land promised to them. Uh, To get to this point, they would have had to come out of slavery from Egypt. And they had a number of leaders like Moses and Joshua. They had 12 judges who were prophetic, military, and spiritual leaders that were supposed to help them uh, fight the enemies that they had around them and also settle disputes within them. They also had some religious leaders like priests who were to help them in their worship. But unfortunately, the majority of these leaders had many downfalls and engaged or approved of many ways that were evil. But instead of this prompting the people uh, to ultimately put their trust in God as their true and faithful good leader, Uh, we see that for the first time when we get to the book of Samuel, the people are asking for a king as leader. They think that this will not only help solve some of the internal problems that they have within themselves, uh, but also the problems they have externally with those around them. They also ask for a king because they pretty much want to be like the nations around them who are also led by a king. So in true free will fashion, God gives them what they want. In 1 Samuel 8, we have the account of God speaking to the prophet of Samuel, to the nation of Israel, uh, telling them they can have the king that they want because they have rejected me, God, as their king. But just let them know that the king that they will have will subject them as slaves. He will be a tyrant king, and it won't be a pleasant experience. 
So even after hearing all of these, the people still insist on having a king. So God chooses Saul to be the first ever king of Israel. And he's handsome, he's tall, he's bold, uh, he's a strategic leader. God was with him and he wins battles. Things are looking promising. But over time, we see that Saul has a number of issues. He carries like an inferiority complex. And rather than consulting God, he's impatient and does things with haste, partly out of fear, partly out of peer pressure and a number of other things. He engages in religious rituals, but he's not actually obedient to what God is asking him to do, and neither is he seeking him for direction. And it's through one of these instances where Saul tries to rush ahead uh, to carry out religious ritual instead of waiting for the, for the prophet Samuel, that in 1 Samuel 13, 13 to 14, God speaks to Saul through Samuel to say to him, and it's going to come upon the screen, how foolish you have not kept the command your Lord God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. Yikes. Like how brutal is that? God literally said, I would have established your kingdom forever. I would have let the generations after you rule forever. But because of your disobedience, because of your heart, I've chosen someone else. Let's just pause there and consider the fact that what is being suggested here is that there are some great things that God would desire to do in our lives and the generations following us. But because of our disobedience, because of our heart and how unaligned we are in the priorities with him, we might miss out. Now, I don't, I don't mention this to scare us to start thinking about uh, all the different things we might have done that means we've missed out but to help us understand that it's not just the day that we get saved that matters or the day that we accept a call from God that matters. How we live our lives day to day deeply matters to God. And for Saul, it wasn't just a small or minor accident that got him to this point. No, there were blatant missteps and blatant disobediences that probably started off with small compromises here and there. And what probably exacerbated the situation for Saul was that he wasn't remorseful, he wasn't repentant about what he was doing. That repentance is so important in helping us get back on track with God. See, God wants to bless you and to prosper you. But he won't always override your will, and he certainly won't override his holiness to do it. Heavy stuff so far. I hope you're encouraged. <laughs> um, but as we go back to the verses, we see that at the core of it, God wanted a man after his own heart. Uh, and this is the first time we hear this specifically being said. And then as we read on to 1 Samuel 16, we see that after Samuel had finished weeping over Saul and what had been spoken over to him, uh, he sent over to the house of Jesse. And Jesse has uh, a number of sons. And Samuel starts to sift through them, wondering if one or the other is king. And it's like each time God is saying, no, not him, not him either. Until Samuel is like, well, is there anyone else in this house? 
then David, who seems to be the forgotten youngest, is remembered and called from the field where he's taking care of sheep. And God says to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And the Bible says that from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And one key factor uh, that suggests why David was the one that was chosen by God amongst his brothers is that when Samuel was looking through the sons of Jesse, he saw particular ones and he would say, surely this is the one. Yet it reads in verse 7 that the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord looks at, the, the people look at things, my bad, let me start again. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, ironically, uh, just like for Saul, uh, the writers still thought it important to include uh, what David looks like. They said he had glowing health, had a fine appearance, and handsome features. But that's not what got him chosen. It was his heart. The truth is, uh, we as humans, we're informed by what we see. To be honest, we can't really help it. In this photo-driven, attention-harassed generation, we make quick and big conclusions from snapshots and images. And even Samuel, as experienced as he was as a prophet and as a leader, he still came to conclusions based on what he saw initially. But it's just such a, a humbling reminder of our human limitation. Because how many of us know that looks can be deceiving? Yeah, you only have to go to the supermarket, you pick a bunch of fruits that look really, really juicy, and then you get home, you try it, and it tastes like trash. Or you take pictures of yourself uh, in a particular area, the background is looking beautiful, it's all smiles, but little do the people who are looking at those pictures know that it was tears behind the scenes. And in popular culture, uh, beauty is promoted and celebrated and followed at times over talent and substance. See, we can be overlooked simply because of how we look. But thankfully, when it comes to God, it's not about looks or outward appearance or performance. You see, God doesn't have the blind spots that we have. He sees what we can't see. He sees deeper. The Bible says that God searches the heart and examines the mind. And quite frankly, I bet some of us are breathing a sigh of relief, saying, like, I'm glad it's probably only God that can search my heart and mind. Because if we were to even get a glimpse into what you've thought about maybe in the last 10 minutes. You probably want the ground to swallow you whole. But if God sees deeper, it's not only convicting because it means that we can't hide anything from him, but it's actually also liberating because it means that God knows us deeply and chooses us accurately. He doesn't reject us because of outward appearance or performance like others might. He's after our heart. And when we talk about the heart, uh, the word used in the original Hebrew language is lavav. Uh, and it means the inner person, the mind, the soul, the understanding of the person. It can also mean, mean the will and the purposes of the inner person. 
And so what we learn from these accounts is two things. We see that as it will come up on the slide, God was looking after or looking for a man after his own heart, a man seeking his will, his purposes, and his mind. But God was also looking for a man with the right heart, a heart after God, someone who's not just on with outward behavior and performance, but is also aligned in their inner world with the heart of God. You see, God wasn't after a king. That's what the people wanted. God wanted a heart-to-heart relationship. Today, church, how incredible to think that the God of the universe wants to be known by you. He wants you to know him and to go after his heart. In many of our religions around the world, God is a distant deity to be appeased. But in Christianity, God is someone who wants to be intimately known, to be in relationship with you. And if we can draw near to God's heart, then how much more should we be willing to also give our hearts to him? See, David was an example of someone who lived in a heart-to-heart relationship with God. And even as we move into New Testament writings, in Acts 13, 22, uh, it says that after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. This wasn't someone else saying that David was a man after God's own heart. This was God himself testifying that David was a man after his own heart. How incredible would it be that if God was to speak about you, if he was to say something uh, about you, that he would say that you are a man or a woman or a child after God's own heart. I know that's what I want him to say about me. Now, we've been real deep and serious, so I want us to pause for a moment, uh, and I just want us to talk about romantic relationships. Now, I know that there are other examples that we can use about people pursuing other people's hearts, but... We love talking about love, we love relationships, particularly as young adults. We just love talking about romantic relationships. So, I need you to be honest with me in this moment. Uh, How many of you, just put your hand up, uh, have ever had somebody go after your heart? Maybe they've done some things to express that they like or love you. Just put your hands up. Oh, some loved people in the room. Fantastic. This one's going to take a little bit more. How many of you have ever gone after somebody else's heart? Look at that. How many of you have succeeded? Jeez, give yourselves a round of applause. Well done. For those who didn't, the Lord be with you. Keep going. Uh, He will help you. So now that we've spoken about that, I've seen many hands up. We're going to just level with one another. Again, I'm not talking uh, for myself this time. This is not a question I'm asking for me. I'm asking for a friend. In fact, I'm asking for a distant cousin, okay? So, what are some tips or signs that we can look out for when we're going after somebody else's heart? Like, what can I do? I mean, my cousin. What can my cousin do uh, to go after somebody's heart? Just shout out a few ideas. What do you do? Hmm? Persevere. I love it. The deep stuff. Anything else? Be honest. Be kind. Acts of service. I know lots of people, especially parents, would love acts of service. Generosity. Generosity. Tolerant. Listen. 
you guys are like experts. I think I need to just write some of these things down because you guys are giving some good ideas. I found some examples online as well, but your examples are way better and much deeper. They're godly. Very good. Um, you compliment them. Another one says you go out of your way, uh, for example, to speak to them often, to be with them, to do things for them. One of them said, you caress their face and tell them that they're beautiful. I'll just say, it's a bit creepy if you're not in a relationship with them. So don't do that. Plus, also, some people have worked really hard on their skincare routine. They do not want your germy hands on their face. <laughs> Somebody's saying, that's good. I'm ministering to you, Boaz, aren't I? You give them gifts, poems, or songs. That's beautiful. How romantic. Romeo, Juliet. Romeo, Romeo, where far out there, Romeo. You're available when they need you to be. You tell them your inner thoughts deep, and you be yourself. I love that one. But if we can make this much effort to go after a man or a woman that is imperfect and may not even be interested in us, how much more should we go be going after the flawless heart of God, the one who is constantly pursuing us, who's not just interested in us, but he is fallen deeply in love with us. How much more? And for David, he wasn't just making some nice cute efforts at going after God's heart. No, he was totally committed to the pursuit of God's heart with his heart. He was all in, fully in, consistently in, even at times over his own will and purposes and preferences. And perhaps you're sitting here today and you're thinking, well, good for David uh, that God could call him a man after his own heart and that he lived this way. But like, that's just not me. Like, I know who I am. I know my flaws. I know where I get it wrong. I know where I mess up. My life doesn't scream a person after God's own heart. Maybe you're even thinking, this is too daunting. It's too big of an ask. It's more than I feel able to give. And it's valid if you feel that way. Sometimes I feel that way too. But let me just remind you about the, some details about David's life. You see, he was a handsome man, a brilliant musician, a songwriter, a mighty warrior, a valiant king. But David was also just a man, a person like you and me. Not only that, David had some deep flaws. In fact, some shocking things about his life. He was a murderer an adulterer, a betrayer, a not-so-great father, and probably a number of other things that meant he had lots of complexities and difficulties in his life. See, David didn't live a perfect life far from it, but what he did live is a surrendered life to God. He chose to daily journey his life with God, his ups and his downs. And believe me, there were many downs. You only have to go to the Psalms to read about them. But it's also in these Psalms that we read David saying things like in Psalm 27, verse 4 on the screen. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. See, David cultivated a love for God and a desire to live in close and deep relationship with him, in right relationship with him. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. And why did David uh, want to be with God above all else? 
It's because he understood who God is and therefore he understood who God could be in his life and he wanted him to be that. Read of the extravagant and rich ways in which David worships God and proclaims who he is. He says in Psalm 18, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. God was a personal reality to David. And isn't that just what we want for our lives? For God to be real in our lives, to be personal in our lives to know God more deeply and to live for him more fully. Even in the midst of our flaws and our mess ups and our mistakes, don't we wanna be still a people going after God's heart in this way? And as a church, uh, we believe that we are in the season of maturity and multiplication. As an an expression of that, uh, we are looking to plant some sites. But we aren't doing it because we're after building a CLM empire. Neither are we doing it because we believe that we are the perfect church with the perfect church plan. We haven't got it all together. In fact, we probably know that it's going to be messy at points in how we go about doing it. But we go anyways because we know it's God's heart cry. And so God's heart cry is our heart cry to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, Lord, we want your heart for this city and for the nations. We want your heart for the brokenness and the darkness and the distance that we see people are in within our lives and around our lives. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and that his life-transforming gospel has transformed our lives and we want God's heart for other people. See, we're not simply after planting more churches. We're going after God's heart for our city and for the nations. Are you up for this? Fantastic. Are you up for this? Love that. We want to be a people going after God's own heart in our lives and in the church that he is building. And since you are up for this, I have just five points to share with you today about some of the things that we learn from the life of David that can teach us how to be a people after God's own heart. And they are five points because in my Holy Spirit-inspired genius, I managed to create five points that create the acronym HEART. So, very memorable for you. God bless you. God help you as you remember those. Get ready to have your mind blown. So... Firstly, we learn from the life of David that going after God's own heart requires being honest with God. We see so much of David's honesty uh, with God, particularly through the Psalms, where he pours out his heart to God. He was honest about his sins when he really messed up and hurt others in the process. In Psalm 51, he says, wash away all my iniquity And cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. And this is only a snapshot of his honesty, but I'm sure that when David spoke directly with God, as he did here, he was even more candid. David was honest not just about his sins, but about his fears, his struggles, his doubts. So often, David cried out in despair, in fear of his enemies, He cried out in his loneliness and in his pain. 
And you know, if he cried out and not just spoke these things, it means that he was honest in his emotions as well. David was also honest uh, to God by being honest with his accountability partners. We see that even though in one instance it took almost one and a half years later for him to be honest about a particular crime that he had committed, um, when the, the prophet Nathan called him out, David simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't deny it. He didn't minimize it. He admitted his brokenness. But how is our honesty with God a way of going after God's own heart? Well, it's because if we are honest with God, if we can't be honest with God, should I say, we don't make room for him to be honest with us. But when God is honest with us, he's sharing his heart with us, his truth in the lies that we may be believing, his peace in the fears that we may be carrying, and his liberation, his freedom, and the shame that we may be experiencing. See, our honesty is an invitation for a divine heart-to-heart with God. We give God what we truly are and what we have in exchange for who he is and what it is that he has to offer. You see, David created room for honesty with God through songs and through poems. That's what the Psalms are mostly, and through prayer. But what an encouragement, especially for our men and in the house, that we can express our hearts to God through songs and through poems. It's not just a feminine thing to do, and we know some incredible guys in the house who write poetry that is amazing. For me, I found journaling and prayer as great platforms for being honest with God. Journaling is something that uh, I've done for many years now, and I, I find it helpful not only to help me slow down and reflect in this fast-paced world, but also it's a way for me to just outlet some things, to outpour my heart to God. I write it down or I pray it out rather than holding it in. And I tell God not just what has happened, but how it's impacted me, how it made me feel. But then I don't just leave it there because it's, it's not ultimately a rant or a monologue. After I shared my heart, I pause and I say, God, what is your heart in this? What do you want to speak into this situation or into my emotions? And often God speaks his peace. He reminds me of who he is, his greatness in my situation. He reminds me of his love and his mercy. But even if I sense nothing back, I've learned from uh, people like David and others in my life to continue to give God thanks and praise. I declare what I already know about his heart. But what about you? What are the platforms or the spaces that you have to help you be honest with God? Is it some accountability partners in life groups or in your friendships? Is it a creative outlet of songwriting? Or do you just need to open up your mouth and raise your voice and start speaking to God again in prayer? Don't go silent in your struggle. Be honest with God because he wants to share his heart with you too. Secondly, we learn from the life of David that going after God's heart requires embracing God's ways. We've established that when you are honest with God, you're inviting him to be honest with you. And in his honesty back, he may speak his peace, his love, and his mercy, but he may also speak back giving you instructions, what you need to do or to stop doing. 
And we see that's important too. We see that when God was seeking a man after his own heart, he expanded it by saying he was seeking a man who will keep his commands and do what he wants him to do. So we can't just get excited about hearing the voice of God, hearing him speak to us. But we need to be a people who do what God wants us to do. See, the the downfall of the first King Saul was that he was bending over backwards, trying to do things that God didn't ask him to do, yet he was missing to do the very thing that he was asked of, which is why he was warned that obedience is better than sacrifice. At the heart of embracing God's ways is a a desire to live an obedient life. And David lived this. He wasn't after his own way or people-pleasing. He was after God's way. A number of times we see in First and Second Samuel uh, that it says that David did what the Lord commanded. Simple as. And he wasn't just obedient out of obligation. It's because he embraced God's ways. He loved God and he loved following his ways. In Psalm 119, 47 to 48, it says, For I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I meditate on your decrees. This is David speaking this. He didn't just love God's ways enough to do them. He loved them enough even to meditate on them. Wow. Parents and carers, let's just think about that for a moment. How incredible would it be if your children, your young people, told you, I love it when you give me commands. I love it when you give me instruction. I love thinking about, even as I'm lying on my bed, your commands and your instructions. Yeah, it sounds a little bit out there. It's a bit different. But that's actually exactly how it was for David. That's how he was towards his heavenly father. But why did David love God's instruction so much? Later on in the same psalm, he says, it's because I know that they are life. And Jesus said uh, the same thing in the New Testament. In John 12, 50, he says, I know that his commands lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Embracing God's heart through embracing God's ways is not just right for you. It's good for you. It's best for you. But how often do we get a prompting from God and what it is that he wants us to do or stop doing, but maybe because we've embraced our own way, because we've learned to love our own way, we choose that way, even when it's harming us instead of bringing us life. But if we're going to be a people after God's heart, it's important that we embrace God's ways, that we go after quick obedience knowing that it brings us life. Thirdly, going after God's heart requires asking God. You know, it's one thing uh, to wait for God to give you instructions to follow. It's another thing to take initiative to actually ask him first. See, I'm one of those people uh, where I now have like a wish list so that by the time it gets to my birthday uh, and to Christmas, I can send this list to people uh, that I know like to give me gifts and therefore they don't have to lie on their bed all night wondering, what can I get, Tracy? What should I get, Tracy? So if you want to be on that contact list, just let me know. I will include you happily. I'm happy to be blessed by your heart. 
But you know, there's often this awkward part of approaching that time and I'm like, I want to send it to them because I want to give them enough notice. But at the same time, like I don't want to impose my list on them if they weren't planning on getting me anything or if they don't want to get me anything. It's a bit awkward. But you know what I really love is that when they beat me to it, when I see that sweet message that says, Tracy, I know your birthday's coming up. What would you like? That is what really gets me excited. You see, I already have the instruction to give. I already have my preferences. I'm just waiting for them to ask me so I can give it to them. And when they ask, I'm delighted that they're thinking of me, that they're seeking ways already to bless my heart. And how much more does the all-wise, all-knowing God have in his mind ways that he would already want to speak to you, to instruct you, the preferences that he has for your life that are even better than what you have for yourself? If only you would ask him rather than just wait for him, hoping that he will guide you in it. Sometimes... The problem is, like Saul, we rush to do things without consulting God. Yet with David, we see that he inquired of the Lord so often. He asked, should I go to battle? What should I do here? God, will you help me here? And God would direct him and he would do it. And that's a really big key part, actually, is that if we're going to inquire of the Lord and he's going to give us instruction back, is that we actually follow it. Like, how unfruitful would it be if the people who asked me for my wish list then proceeded to just get me whatever it is that they had planned to get me anyway? Well, I would be happy if I asked for games and they gave me a holiday, so that's a bit of a different one. But when it comes to God, obedience is better than sacrifice. If they end up giving me something that I don't like or I don't really want ultimately or need, it can be a bit frustrating, even if they think I, might, I should just be grateful for it. It's not what I wanted. But God cares about our obedience when we ask him for instructions uh, and we follow it. He wants us to go after his own heart by seeking his will and his ways for our lives and then honoring to follow it. Fourthly, we learn from the life of David that going after God's heart requires reverence for God. At the time when David was anointed, he was around 16 years old, and he didn't actually come into the position of a king until the age of 30. And Saul still reigned for a total of 40 years. And so part of what makes David's life and character remarkable and worth learning from is the patience and sense of waiting that David carried even when he had uh, opportunities to kill Saul and rush the process. But David didn't just wait uh, because he was patient. He waited because he revered God, and therefore he honored and respected the anointing and chosenness of Saul. And another way we might put this idea of reverence, which is often uh, said in the Bible, is having a fear of God. It's to have a deep awe and respect for God and his position and his power that means that you approach him in a certain way. And I know that we like to say that having a, a fear of God doesn't necessarily mean that we're frightened of him. But actually, when, when you understand the power and the capacity of God, it's actually quite frightening. Psalm 97 puts God's power in perspective like this. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. 
the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. If the earth trembles in the sight of God, what about us? Likewise, we like to picture God as this uh, woolly-haired, white-robed, gentle individual carrying a little lamb, and Jesus is gentle. But John also saw a vision of Jesus in Revelation 1 and said that his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnishing bronze, refined as in a furnace. These are quite frightening and stark descriptions of God. And so it's dangerous to, com- to live in complete ignorance or obliviousness to them and their implications for our lives. Instead, we live in reverence of God. We live in the right and balanced perspective of him. It doesn't mean that we live in fear and on the edge, paranoid that he will blow us away with one mistake. In fact, the Bible reassures us that Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. The wrath of God that should have been on us was upon him. And through his bloodshed, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. Who's grateful for that this morning? And so we live in peace that God loves us and protects us, that actually he draws us near to him and we draw near to him as well. We live in the assurance that Jesus daily stands to defend our case. But nonetheless, we also live humbly aware of God's total holiness and otherness, that he is beyond us and that he has the final say. We live so aware of God in our conscience that when there are opportunities uh, for small or big compromises, even if no one will ever catch us for it, we don't compromise or cut corners. Having reverence for God means going beyond just self-respect or respect for others. But it's having that respect and awe for God that says, no, I, I can't do that because I actually care about what God's heart is in this situation. Can I invite the band up, please? Lastly, going after God's heart requires trusting God. In some ways, uh, hopefully the previous uh, four points are already expressions of trust. You're more likely to be honest, to align, to ask someone and to respect someone that you trust. But so it doesn't go without saying, God loves it when we trust him. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God, it's impossible to get to the heart of God. You see, if we don't choose to believe and trust in God, we miss his heart. When you don't trust someone, you hold back. You avoid knowing them and them knowing you. And perhaps some of you have faced disappointment and deep heart because the people you put your trust in uh, betrayed you or didn't show up for you in the way that you would have loved for them to. But today, God would say that you can trust me. My heart is good. And when we put our trust in him, we're ultimately saying that he is trustworthy. He's worth me giving my heart to his heart. Solomon, uh, who was David's son, uh, penned these words from Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, Submit to him and he will make your path straight. Perhaps what Solomon wrote here was a mixture of the wisdom uh, that he had, but also lessons that he learned from his father's life. Either way, it shows that trust in God is vital. 
And David, being a man after God's own heart, trusted God and trusted his promises, one of them being that his lineage, his line would be the one through whom he would establish his covenant with and establish his throne forever. And surely God kept his promise. A thousand years later, Jesus, God in flesh, would come into the world as a suffering servant and the eternal king of kings. The throneship of David continues through Jesus forevermore. Jesus, this one who was born in the city of David and in the line of David. And this Jesus was the only one uh, to live perfectly as one after the Father's heart obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it's through his death and resurrection power that we can be men and women of God after God's own heart because he gives us the power and the ability to do that through his spirit. And maybe for some of us today, we we need to decide for the first time that I'm gonna trust in this Jesus, this one who has done a perfect and finished work on the cross and in his life. This Jesus who offers me forgiveness and gives me hope for a new and transformed life. Can I invite us to stand? Just as I've said today, uh, maybe there are people today who want to afresh or even for the first time commit their heart to this Jesus, to say, Jesus, I trust you. I wanna walk in your ways. I wanna go after your heart because I've come to a revelation of your heart for me. And so if that's you, I'm just gonna invite you to lift up your hands, maybe lift them up clearly so I can see. This is especially if you're responding for the first time to Jesus. And maybe for others of us in the room, maybe we've gone after other things. We've sought the heart of other things. We've been preoccupied, embracing other ways. Perhaps rather than being honest with God, we've ran to our friends first or our family, or we've ran to Google to give us the answers to the questions that we have. But today we're saying again, God, I wanna go after your heart for my life. I wanna go after your heart for those around me. If today it is that you do want to respond, surrendering your life again to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want to go after your heart. I wonder if you could lift up your hands with me. I'm going to pray for us. God, I thank you that your heart is good. I thank you, Lord, that your heart is perfect. Thank you, God, that you relentlessly go after us, Lord, you pursue us. And thank you, Jesus, that your invitation is for us to relentlessly go after you, to forsake other ways that we have embraced, to be honest with you, to see you in a right perspective. And God, I pray for each and every one of our hearts, God, even as we put our hands on our hearts, Lord, we pray, help us to be men and women and children after your own heart. God, teach us what it looks like to love you first, to keep you as the center of our lives. Lord, help us to trust you daily. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray.